0: Welcome to the For We Are Many podcast. My name is Rob, and uh, I will be your host and comrade this evening. Um, Today we're going to be talking about a few things. We're going to call Alec Baldwin a murderer. We're just going to go ahead and get that right out of the way. Um, Cuba joined China's Belt and Road Initiative. We'll talk about that. Um, Starbucks union. Our Starbucks workers are pushing for a union. That's uh pretty relevant given all the uh, labor shortage issues, the wage shortage issues that we've been talking about for the last couple of months. Um, we're gonna do a little bit of a recap um, on the life of Eugene Debs. Um, the anniversary of his death was. Uh, this week, I believe might, might have been last week. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. And then we're going to talk about organizing, like in the real world, like getting together with your community and trying to improve the world that you live in. Um, yeah. Yeah so how's everybody doing tonight hi emily bear with me for a moment i am uh sharing the stream around if you would like to take this moment to do the same uh that would be greatly appreciated All right. How's it going? Um, I guess we'll jump right in, we're gonna talk about Alec, Alec Baldwin. Um, so as I'm sure most of you have heard at this point, um, Alec Baldwin shot and killed one of his film crew, um, with a prop gun that he supposedly believed to be unloaded. Um, most of the union crew had taken off earlier that day. They hired scabs trying to save a few uh, a few bucks. Um, and, and I mean, when we're talking about a live round, we should be talking about a blank in that scenario, right? This is Hollywood. This is not an actual gunfight. Um, and he was supposed to be shooting at the camera, first of all. Uh, like, directly at the camera, from what I understand. Um, not... At somebody a mere couple feet away. That doesn't make sense. Uh, If it was a blank. That means there is no projectile. It's just gunpowder. I'm not saying that that wouldn't kill somebody. What I am saying is there would not be a ricochet. Um, The point is. Is that ultimately. What it comes down to. Is a labor issue. Okay, As I already said. Most of the union crew. Left earlier that day for these reasons. It wasn't safe, there was too many corners being cut. Um, Calvin said in the comments that the person who gave him the gun was known to not be safe, but who knows. Um, Exactly, and I think that, uh, you know, the person who gave him the gun being part of the production team Doesn't look well for the labor issue side of it, Uh, from a lawsuit standpoint anyway, for the labor side, it actually looks good, but um, there's definitely more going on there um, than the mainstream media is talking about. Um, But the union has very loudly spoken out about what the conditions are like on the set of Rust, uh, how unsafe it was, Why does it take something like this for this to even hit the news, you know? Good evening, Natalie. Good to see you. Um, so, I just want to reiterate that it is a labor issue. And yes, Calvin, uh, Alec Baldwin is, I believe, the executive producer on the movie. Um, and ultimately, it comes down to him trying to pinch pennies. That's all it comes down to. Um, He's cutting corners and that's putting lives at risk. And it costs someone their life. It's completely unacceptable. And I think he needs to be held accountable for at least manslaughter charges as well as a full investigation into why the conditions were so unsafe on that set. We all know it's because he was trying to pinch pennies. We all know that already. But it's time to have a team go in and do an investigation and document that shit. Um. All right. Sorry, I'm kind of all over the place right now. This is why I hate doing these streams alone. It's uh, not as easy as one would hope Um, between trying to share things around and, um, you know, discuss the things at the same time. Uh, Give me just a second, though. Working on pulling something up to show you. All right. Sorry about the small delay there.
1: A oh, set of rust with a prop gun, a half dozen camera crew workers walked off the set to protest working conditions. The camera operators and their assistants were frustrated by the conditions surrounding the low-budget film, including complaints of long hours and getting their paychecks, according to three people familiar with the matter who were not authorized to comment. The camera crew showed up for work as expected at 6.30 a.m. Thursday and began gathering up their gear and personal belongings to leave, one knowledgeable crew member told the Los Angeles Times. Labor trouble had been brewing for days on the dusty set at the Bonanza Creek Ranch near Santa Fe. Shooting began on October 6 and members of the production said they had been promised the production would pay for their hotel rooms in Santa Fe. But after filming began, the crews were told they instead would be required to make the 50-mile drive from Albuquerque each day, rather than stay overnight in nearby Santa Fe. The cinematographer who was accidentally killed, Jaime Hutchins, had been advocating for safer conditions for her team, said one crew member who was on the set. As the camera crew, members of the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, spent about an hour assembling their gear at the Bonanza Creek Ranch, several non-union crew members showed up to replace them, the knowledgeable person said. A member of the producer's staff then ordered the union members to leave the set. She said if they didn't leave, the producers would call security to remove them. Corners were being cut, and they brought in non-union people so they could continue shooting, the knowledgeable person said. There were two misfires on the prop gun on Saturday and one the previous week, the person said. Adding, there was a serious lack of safety meetings on this set.
0: So, I mean, pretty self-explanatory. As as I was just talking about, it, it was Alec Baldwin trying to, um, trying to cut corners to save pennies. Uh, yeah. Uh, hi, James. It, it is good to see you, Kelvin. Uh, nothing really happened uh, to anybody. Um Trisha was supposed to be on tonight but uh, she also had a few things to take care of before the stream and I would guess that she did not get that done in time um, but that being said we've been a little shoddy with our streams lately and Tuesdays have been the only ones that we've managed to keep um, on time so I wasn't trying to risk that uh, I wanted to see all you guys <laughs> <coughs> Um, Cuba is joining China's Belt and Road Initiative. Um, what that should mean. Actually, I can just, I can show you, uh, a video and in fact I will, but Basically, what this can mean for Cuba is access to things like high-speed rail, access to things like green energy. Um, You know, um, it opens a lot of doors for for Cuba. And uh, also, thus far, China's been pretty reliant on... Western vaccines, and that opens the door for Cuba to pay for some of this infrastructure that China will be building um, by selling their vaccine on a global market. So that's important. Um, But just to dive a little deeper than I can, per se, uh, this exact moment, we're going to watch a video
2: Cuba recognizes the significance of its participation in China's Belt and Road Initiative. It's especially important when it comes to sectors like telecommunications and projects involving mobile telephone service, data transmission and digital television. Cuba not only adopted the Chinese digital TV standard, but also infrastructure for the terrestrial digital TV broadcast and the production of TV sets and equipment of the Chinese system. According to González, digital TV reaches more than three quarters, 76.2% of the Cuban population in standard definition and nearly half, that's 45.7% in high definition. CGTN visited the plant assembling equipment for the ongoing transition from analog to digital TV. In collaboration with the sister nation of China, we manufacture TV converter boxes. We plan to produce 326,000 boxes this year. The manufacture of TV converters based on Chinese technology is crucial to guarantee the current expansion of digital TV in Cuba, even under the conditions imposed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Despite the economic and social impact of the coronavirus, information technologies have offered Cubans a promising option to deal with the pandemic. El sector de las comunicaciones Even with COVID-19, the telecommunications sector has not stopped growing, and this is shown by the ongoing development of the communications infrastructure and our support of the education process through web platforms. In recent years, Cuba has developed a mobile communications infrastructure, first by opening cyber cafes and hotspots, and more recently 3G and 4G data services, all with Chinese technology. Currently, more than 7 million Cubans are connected to the Internet, with still a fraction of ADSL home connections. Despite COVID-19, Cuban families like the Almanzas can work from home thanks to their Internet connection. This is very useful. I can keep in contact with my clients. My wife can work from home during the pandemic, while my daughter can download books for her university studies. Cubans have faced limited access to outside resources during the pandemic, but officials say Cuba is expected to keep developing projects in the best interest of China's Belt and Road Initiative, and telecommunications will be a big part of it going forward. Luis Chirino, CGTN,
1: Havana. Sorry, I was muted. So, um,
0: I didn't even really think about the, uh, I guess the more technological side of it, the, the internet access, uh, you know, the, um, the internet access is really a game changer because now most Cubans anyway, not all, as they were saying, um, can communicate globally. That's, that's a big improvement. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that China is also willing to, like, help them set up things like solar desalination um, so Cubans never have to go without water again. You know, I'm hoping to see um, China learn from Cuba's healthcare system. This partnership should go two ways. That's generally how the BRI works. And I think that... Uh, I think that China has a lot to learn from Cuba just as much as China can offer Cuba a lot. Uh, while we're on the topic of Cuba, I wanted to do a vaccine update on Cuba. Um, as of the last reported numbers, which were three days ago, over 9.8 million doses have been administered to eighty six point five. Percent of the population and all just shy of 62% of the population is fully vaccinated, uh, which is over 7 million people. They didn't start vaccinating until the 7th of May. Just to put that in perspective for everybody here. um, That's that's a hugely impressive feat, not to mention that they're completely homegrown vaccines. That's incredible. Um, You know, and they were calling for a three shot setup way before we were talking about boosters. When they rolled it out, it was a three shot setup. Um, So, I mean, we're seeing a lot of good things out of Cuba right now. And I think that's only going to continue. Do you guys have any? questions, concerns, or comments um, about Cuba joining the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, if so, you know, just type them in the in the chat, the usual thing. Um, but there's also, speaking of other good things that Cuba's been doing, they've been, they just passed 63 measures uh, to increase food production. For example, um, they are... Um, you know, reworking a lot of their customs and duties laws. Um, basically after those, after that one day of protests, uh, you know, government officials went around to towns and asked what they can do better. And they're taking that and acting on it. That's far more, um, influence than we could ever hope to have here. Um, well with our current government anyway, but, um, back to labor, uh, Starbucks is, um, doing a unionization drive right now. Hopefully their Walgreens isn't overfilled with people waiting in line for vaccine. It's getting bad here. Yeah. Um, Well, that's the problem. Okay. So like they are having um, doctors and nurses go out into the neighborhoods and literally administer these doses at people's homes because that's how their healthcare system is set up. Yeah. So, I mean, they're not going to have an issue with long lines and things like that. Most Cubans, I should say, are not going to have that issue um, with long lines at Walgreens um, compared to here. But I I think that we should be learning from Cuba as well. They have a world-class healthcare system, even if a lot of their... Uh, Hospitals and facilities are using seriously outdated equipment. They still provide an exemplary level of care that uh, we could only hope to get here. Um, Speaking of which, Cuba will be reopening for tourism. I forget if it's at the end of the year or the end of November. But uh, either way, that's coming. So we'll see. How their vaccination push um, works here in a couple of months, um, but I, I think that I think that we're going to be looking at full vaccination in Cuba by the end of the year. I mean, it might not read as a hundred percent, um, because there are you know people that have medical exemptions to not get them. That's a good point, Emily. Uh, She said, I think a big part of the long lines is that a lot of workplaces are getting mandates, so all those people who wouldn't get the vaccines now have to, and we no longer have the state vaccination sites forcing people to head up Walgreens, et cetera. Um, Yeah, that was one thing that I thought that Arizona did really well uh, rolling out the vaccine, which is funny because we botched, we botched about everything else pertaining to COVID. but the the state-run vaccination sites were were really well operated and i mean we're talking about like thousands of cars in line and it ran smoothly um but yeah i i mean we shouldn't have gotten rid of the state vaccination sites if that's the approach we were going to take but i would much rather have a system like Cuba's where, you know, like, I mean, for a big vaccination push like this, you're not even going somewhere to get it. They come to you. Um And and I mean, that's just a lot of, a lot. Well, now, thanks to China's help with technology, um, Cuba is able to do a lot of like telemedicine and stuff too. So, that's that's also been important. But the thing is, is that's free there. It's not here. Um, but yeah, something does need to happen with the lines. We exactly, exactly, James. The National Guard was way faster than Walgreens, um, way more efficient. And I think it was the National Guard that was running Arizona sites, too. So that makes sense. Um, Wisconsin halted their wolf hunt, uh, about two weeks before, um, the season was scheduled to begin. And, uh, I, I just want to say, first of all, that that is a major victory for indigenous people. Um, that being said, I, they're painting it as more of a constitutional issue. And that's not the case at all. If the headlines were accurate, they would read something like judge fears, further resistance and unity of the tribes, because that's what's starting to happen um, with these wolf hunt situations. And I I think that the state is frankly terrified of it. Um, Yeah, let me pull up some stuff on that real quick though. There we go, found it. All right. it. Sorry, you guys.
3: Six Native American tribes sued Wisconsin in an effort to protect gray wolves from a hunt planned in November, asserting the hunt violates treaty rights and endangers an animal considered sacred to the tribes. The Chippewa tribes say they have rights to half of the wolf quota in the territory they ceded to the United States in the mid-1800s under treaties. The tribes don't plan on hunting the wolves, rather claiming the number to lessen the state's allotted quota of wolves hunters in the area are allowed to kill. A quota for the hunt in fall is set at 300, but the tribes have argued against it as hunters exceeded the set quota during a hunt in February that did not allow Native Americans to claim half.
0: So, I just want to specify here that, that last year, what happened was the quota was set at 210, I believe, and they blew past that in a few days. Um, and they went way over the quota, which is is not okay. Um, I, I mean, we've been talking about Mako a lot lately, and as he would say, what happens to Wolf happens to mankind. But... From a scientific perspective wolves shape the landscape right like killing off the wolves to keep settler cattle here is absurd um but anyway the point is that this year they raised the quota to lessen the impact of the native americans claiming half That's not how this works.
3: In our treaty right, we're supposed to share with the state 50 to 50 in our resources, and we're feeling the W. For more reporting from the Associated Press, see below. Um,
0: So the tribal lawsuit comes three weeks, three weeks, after a coalition of wildlife advocacy groups and tribes um oh wait no the tribal lawsuit is separate from the wildlife ad- advocacy group's lawsuit my bad um okay so it comes three weeks after the wildlife adv- advocacy group sued to stop wisconsin's wolf hunt um and, and basically they're trying to overturn the state law mandating annual hunts um Arguing, They're arguing that the statutes <clears throat> don't give wildlife managers any leeway to consider population estimates. Um, Natalie said, to circle back to our previous, it doesn't even show the whole comment, uh, to our previous topic. Natalie said, even the vaccines are not really free in the U.S. if you read the uh, small print after reading walgreens etc advertisement for getting the vaccine they definitely want to charge your insurance card i assume if you don't have one uh they still need to vaccinate and use the money congress allocated i believe that that's a pretty decent uh overview of how they are doing it um So anyway, uh, back to the wolves, the, the state DNR set the February quota at 119, right? Which I was totally off on my estimate of that. Um, but anyway, yeah, the quota was set at 119, which would give half of those to the tribe and hunters killed 218 wolves in just four days, forcing an early end of the season. Um, agency biologists recommend setting the fall quota at 130, so they set it at fucking 300. Um, and the lawsuit alleges the board's decision to set the quota at 300 was a deliberate move to nullify the tribe share and was not based on science. Uh, the DNR's latest estimates put Wisconsin's wolf population at roughly 1,000. They wanted to kill a third of these. Um, opponents say hunters probably killed at least a quarter of the population, if poaching is included. Uh, the Ojibwe word for wolf is—I'm not going to mispronounce that—but um, the indigenous people of the Great Lakes region call themselves Anishinaabe. The wolf holds a sacred place in their creation stories to the Anish- An- Anish- Anishinaabe. The wolf are brothers. Um, and that goes back to what Mako was saying about um, what happens to wolf happens to mankind. Um it's it's a great victory, but I just want to recap and say that a more accurate headline, um, you know, than the judge ruling it unconstitutional was that the judge, the judge fears further indigenous resistance and unity of the tribes, because that is the direction the things were going in Wisconsin, um, not just in Wisconsin either. Um, the fight to protect the wolves is going on all over Turtle Island. Um, so then I guess um, I'm going to move on into, you know, the section I wanted to use to dedicate to using what we learn and what we discuss in our leftist circles online to actually organize in the real world And, uh, you know, try to make a difference, try to build a better society. Um, and there's, there's a few organizations that I want to plug, um, both for education and for actual on the ground organizing. Um, and that would be, I'm going to start with the IWW because they're one of the only like radical labor unions left. Um, we're in the middle of a labor uprising and we need a radical union there. The whole idea of the IWW to, was to be one big union, which all workers could unite under. And, um, I think we need to bring that mindset back some, um, so the next two go together, obviously, but the, the black Panther party and the white Panther party, um, they have a a very good educational program. Um, well, actually I can also include the all African people's revolutionary party in this. They have a YouTube channel, they have a Facebook, um, they have a very good educational program as well. Uh, but back to the black Panther party, their 10 point program is still very relevant today. Um, we also have the Communist Party USA. Although I don't blame you if some of you are hesitant, <laughs> I guess to say the least. Um, but, or because rather not, but uh, because in twenty twenty they they pushed Joe Biden. But that being said, um, the party is is seems to be going uh, through a pretty significant growth phase. Um, and they are doing things at the local level. So, uh, anyway, on that same note, we've also got the party for socialism and liberation. Um, they do a lot of mutual aid types, type events. Um, hi Caitlin. Uh, they do a lot of mutual aid type events. They, they do a lot of, you know, on the ground organizing and of course, I want to talk about Mako's organization, Alahi Spirit Runners. Um, the the political line among all these organizations is fairly similar, and goes right in line with with what we talk about every time that we uh, every time that we do one of these streams, whether it's theory or current events. This is the lens that we're viewing the world through. So. Um, you know, if you want to get involved with the IWW, Google them, go to their website, uh, you know, apply. If you want to uh, join Alahi Spirit Runners, contact Mako. Um, well, e- even if you're in any of these other organizations and you want to organize with Alahi Spirit Runners, contact Mako. Uh, same thing for CPUSA and PSL, though. Go online, um, type in cpusa or type in psl in your city um, and it will show branches that are close to you Um, the, the the whole point is is that we can have all the theory we want but if we're not practicing it in the real world then what are we really doing um That's all. I just wanted to talk about good, uh, communistic organizations that exist and are literally organizing in the city you live in. They could also use help. Um, and I wanted to talk about Eugene Debs. Um, So he was a socialist. Uh, he, he, the anniversary of his death is uh October 20th, so we missed it by a little bit, but that being said, sorry, I got distracted for a second there. Um, so we missed it by a little bit, but it was still last week. So we're not, we're not too late. But anyway, he was an American socialist, political activist, trade unionist, founding member of the IWW and five time candidate for the Socialist Party of America for president. Um, he became one of the best known socialists in the U.S. Um, before he was a socialist, he was a member of the Democratic Party. Um he was elected as a Democrat and uh in 1884 he was working with small unions uh including the Brotherhood of Locomotive Firemen um and he led his union in a major 10-month strike in 1888 uh he was instrumental in the founding of the American Railway Union which was one of the US's first industrial unions and um then there was the Pullman strike um over, over pay cuts in 19, or 1894, sorry. Um, and Debs brought a lot of people into the American Railway Union. So a lot of these uh, events that we're talking about, we have pieces about. We have pieces about Eugene Debs, for that matter. Uh, the Pullman Strike, especially, we have one about, um, as well as the some of the other organizations, unions that he was with the, um, I I believe that we titled the series, the political evolution of Eugene Debs and uh, the Pullman strike was basically like the line in the sand. Um, He went to prison actually uh, for sedition, because remember the sedition act of 1918 was to quell, anti-war dissent during world war one and uh he was jailed for a speech denouncing american participation in world war one um yeah but i mean he led a boycott by the American Railway Union against handling trains with Pullman cars and what became the nationwide Pullman strike affecting most lines west of Detroit, more than 250,000 workers in 27 states. Um, The strike was ultimately broke up by the army and uh, Debs was convicted of federal charges for defying, defying a court injunction against the strike and served six months in prison. That was the first time he went to prison while he was in prison. He, he was reading books on socialist theory and became a socialist. Uh, he was a founding member of the social democracy of America in 1897, the social democratic party of America in 1898. Uh, and, and it was kind of like a flow through these events. The social democracy of America merged into the social democratic party of America merged into the socialist party of America. Um, Debs ran as a socialist candidate for president five times, um, including 1900, 1904, 1908, 1912, and 1920, which was a four-way race, if I remember correctly. Um, He got 6% of the vote in 1912, um, which is a pretty decent decent amount of the vote. Um, That being said... Um, I guess I just want to encourage you guys to go back onto, for we are and uh, exactly Natalie, he was even able to organize while in prison and that's inspiring, but I urge all of you to go to, for and watch all of our pieces on Eugene Debs and the Pullman strike. Um, there's a lot of good information in there. And obviously I'm not going to go over (laughs) all of that on this stream, (laughs) but I believe that brings us to the end of the list. I figured that that was going to take about an hour, not 40 minutes, but I also expected to have Trisha here. (laughs) So, um, shit happens, I guess, but, um, Anyway, yeah, uh, for next week's episode, if you guys have, uh, anything that you want to see us talk about message, the page message, Trisha or I on Facebook, um, and we'll see what we can do to, uh, discuss it. Or if you want to come on to talk about something, um, again, hit us up. We're always looking for guests. Um, Anyway, yeah, Um, hope all of you have a wonderful night.
3: Through the workers' blood shall run There can be no greater power Anywhere beneath the sun Yet what force on earth is weaker Than the feeble strength of one But the union makes us strong Solidarity forever Solidarity forever